0: The Israelites have traveled through this bitter wilderness now for 40 years. They come now to the plains of Moab and they camp beside the Jordan River across from Jericho as they prepare now to enter into that promised land. But when the king of Moab sees this horde of people coming, he has heard the stories of the presence of God with them. He's heard the stories of what happened in Egypt as they were delivered. Balak sends messengers to summon Balaam to come and curse these people. Now, Balaam is an enigma to me. He is a semi-worshipper of the God of heaven, but he uses occult practices to speak with God. So from the very get-go, there's a concern about who is this man Balaam. They send to this man who is effectively either a powerful prophet or a powerful witch. We're really not told in Scripture which he is. But they take with them the fee for divination. That is the occult practice of speaking with the gods. Balaam answers, pardon me, spend the night here. I'll bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. He claimed to be a follower of Yahweh, of the Lord God Almighty. So the Midianite or the Moabite princes, stay with him. And God came to Balaam in the night. And he asked him, Who are these men who are with you? And Balaam said to God, this is Numbers, the 22nd chapter, verse 10, Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The word is clear. Do not go. There is no misunderstanding the word of God to Balaam. He understands. He goes back to the princes of Balak and he says to them, The Lord has refused to let me go with you, so you might as well go back to your own country. The Moabite princes returned to Balak. And they say, Balaam refused to come. And he said, well, I know what the problem is. I need to send more distinguished men to him, and I need to send more money. So they come, and they say, come and put a curse on this people for me. And Balaam answers them, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could do nothing great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. That sounds excellent. He has taken a stand. He's not going to move. He's not going to compromise. But like so many, after a very bold statement is made, then they come back and they compromise. Verse 19, Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. And God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Now I want you to see something. Balaam got up in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him or to kill him. Now why would God say to to Balaam, go ahead and go with them. But just do what I tell you. Why would God say that to him? Well, very simple. Balaam is determined that he's going to go. And he's going to do whatever he has to do to twist God into saying that he's allowed to go. And so God just does it for him and says, Okay, you want to go? Go. But do what I tell you. Now what Balaam does not realize is that he is playing with his life. And in this story, he will lose his life. He will be killed because he was playing with God. There is nothing more dangerous than I can think of than to play with the Lord God Almighty. He is not a tame wolf. We don't play with God. But Balaam, in his arrogance, goes with them even though he knows the Lord God of heaven has said, under no conditions, no Do not go. When he pushes God, God says, okay, go ahead. This is one of the ways of God that you need to understand. You can say, I want to buy that new car. Lord, do you want me to buy that new car? And the answer is very clear in your heart, no. But you keep saying, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I must have. Now, can I have that new car? Can I have that new car? Until finally God says, yes, go ahead, get it. And then for seven years you'll get beaten up with a mortgage payment on that car. It's not yours. It belongs to the bank. I just talked with a young person who wanted to show that she was in charge of her life. So she figured out how much she wanted to pay for her new car She knew she could make the payment of a certain amount, so she talked to the bank and she talked to the dealer and they agreed to sell her that car for that amount of money. A seven-year note. Incredible. Seven years. Slavery to that car. Not what God wanted for her. But in her arrogance and in her independence, and in her refusal to be submissive. She did what she wanted to do. In arrogance, did what she wanted to do. God was very angry when he went, and he sent his angel to stand in the road to oppose him or to kill him. Now Balaam was riding his donkey, His two servants were with him. They were being escorted by the servants, or the princes, the the power people of Balak's government. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. And, of course, Balaam is now the laughingstock of King Balak's princes as they're with him. And Balaam is angry. He's shamed. And so he gets off his donkey and he beats her back onto the road. Well, the angel simply moved down to a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord she just lay down on the road and now he was furious he was shamed in front of these princes of Balak and he beat her with his staff and then the strangest thing God did—he opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, "What have I done to make you beat me these three times?" Now at this point we have to seriously begin to ask, who is the donkey and who is the man? It's evident that the donkey has more wisdom than the man has. It's obvious that the man is the donkey, but I won't say that because I don't want to—I don't want to dishonor the donkey. Balaam is much lower than any donkey could be. Balaam answers the donkey. See them braying at each other. I wonder if they were speaking in language the princes could understand, or if they were just braying at each other and God made it plain. You've made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden, and to this day have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. He bowed low and fell face down. And the angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I came to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. In other words, God has a higher opinion of this man's donkey than he has of Balaam. Why? Because Balaam is filled with arrogance. He's filled with pride. He's in charge of his own life. He will give God a head nod, and then he's going to do what he wants to do. He's not going to be submissive to the Lord God of heaven. Balaam said to the angel, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. What? What? If you are displeased, he's almost killed him he's so angry with Balaam. He's told Balaam, don't go. He's told him it's a reckless course. And now Balaam is acting like, are you displeased with me? If you are, I'll go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. You know, this story causes me great pain. Great pain in my heart. I want to tell you why. I've been Balaam. Many times in my life, I've been Balaam. I've known what I wanted to accomplish. I've known what I wanted to do. And I've asked God's permission. And and then I went on my way without even waiting for him to answer. I've done what I wanted to do. In fact, I have thought it was my right to do what I wanted to do. Did I that that was the normal way to live, to go about doing what I want to do. It's interesting. In Isaiah 6, and I'll touch lightly on it, but it's not where I want to spend the majority of our time. In the year King Uzziah died, and you understand who King Uzziah was, He was a godly man until pride took over his life. And he went into the temple and took the censers and said, I'm going to offer incense before God. The last time someone tried to pull that trick, 250 men died. Only the priest was allowed to offer the incense before God. But now the king is trying to be both king and priest. He is trying to take the place that only Jesus is allowed to hold. Jesus alone is the king-priest. The year he died, he died in his house, isolated with leprosy. He was not allowed to go out in public. His son sat on the throne. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Was seated on the throne. He went into the temple, and no one else in the temple saw what Isaiah saw. But Isaiah had a humble heart. And so he goes into this temple, this beautiful temple of God. And he sees, he sees the Lord God. He's high and exalted. The train of his robe fills the temple. In other words, God is bigger than the temple. Above him are seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. And two they were flying with. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of his glory. But nobody else saw it. Everybody else was going about their normal worship practices, buying and selling of animals, coming in and offering the sacrifices. It was just a normal worship day for them. But Isaiah sees God. And these powerful heavenly beings... And they're crying, holy, holy, holy holy is the Lord. They're not saying, holy, holy, holy is Isaiah, or holy, 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 are the priests. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. In other words, utterly set apart from anything of the wicked human nature, The sound of their voices, the doorposts of the temple shake. The temple is filled with smoke. And he says, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. One of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he'd taken with tongs from the altar and with it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your mouth. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Only fire atones for sin unless there is an intervention and then the blood covers and washes so that we are not cast into the fire. I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send who will go for us and I said here am I send me it's almost as as though isaiah is shrinking back against the back wall of the temple it's filled with the glorious wonder of god the smoke fills the house the fire the altar the angels the mighty presence of god himself He's saying, woe is me, woe is me. I have uncircumcised lips. I have unclean lips. And one of the seraphs brings a live coal and touches his lips and says, your guilt is taken away. And now all he can do is I see him kind of raising his hand there in the back of the temple. Raising his hand, saying, Here am I. Send me. God, I'll go for you. Oh, God is looking for people who will go for him today. He's looking for humble men and women. Men who will humble humble their hearts. I don't know how to talk about this very well, but please, I'm going to try. I received a text from a listener. I want to read it for you. The March 27 message, The Way Up is the Way Down, was very timely for me. I've come to the conclusion that I truly am nothing, I'm not, I'm not just saying that. It's true. I've got no position now at work. I'm ruled by people 15 or more years my junior. My view is ignored. At home and church, I'm nothing. Really. Even with God. I'm nothing. Yes, it's hard to accept but it's cleared the way for Jesus to be everything. Pray I can walk in this moment by moment, day by day. It's hard to swallow, but when I embrace the nothingness, it is liberating. How strange, but so like our God. And I wrote back, It sounds to me like Jesus has you firmly by the hand, and is bringing to pass all that you have been asking for. There is no righteousness given to the followers of Jesus without deep, heartbreaking suffering. This is the part of the journey that tests our souls, that tests our real commitment to the journey. Most blow out long before this stage. My heart was greatly encouraged by your honesty and your willingness to be nothing. I am praying that you will not turn to anger or self-pity. Be of great courage. You are in good company. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I look at the, the life that I have lived And God has brought me into that same place of being absolutely nothing. That what I say doesn't really count for anything. I was praying this morning about this broadcast. And all I could say was, Lord, I don't want to say anything in the flesh. I want everything that is said to be by your spirit. And I began to just say holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There's a place where we must come where we're willing to give up everything, especially our pride especially our place, our standing. And I don't mean to be critical, but my heart is tremendously grieved by by men and women who lead in the body of Christ in America who are so full of themselves that I can't see Jesus in them. I receive phone calls from people sometimes. People so excited about what they know and, and what they're reading and what they're thinking and what they're feeling. and They're so filled with themselves. There's no room for God. There's no room for the Holy Spirit in their heart. They're full of their plans. They're full of their ideas. They're full of all of the strategies for success. They're so full of themselves. There's no room in them for God. And I say, oh, Lord, I've been like that. I, too, have walked that way. And now you've broken my heart. You've put me on my face before me and you've made me admit I'm the least of all your children. Why does church have to be a show? Why does church have to be entertaining? I've been asked numerous times in the last weeks, this coming Sunday, What's going to be the special celebration, Pastor? And I've answered each one the same way. The special celebration will be the person of Jesus. He is our celebration. There is no celebration outside of Jesus. So we're not going to have a big band and we're not going to have a big a big show. We're not going to have live animals in our congregation we're not going to bring Balaam's donkey in we just want the presence of God there I want the presence of God it's hard for me today to even talk with you because I'm so fearful that I'll speak out of my own spirit let me just read some scripture to you first peter the 5th chapter therefore since i'm sorry first peter the 4th chapter therefore since christ suffered in his body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse upon you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then over here in chapter 5. This is First Peter, the fifth chapter. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast to him be the power for ever and ever amen Paul ends or Peter ends his first book with those words you see there is there is no righteousness without suffering and what is the suffering the suffering is denying myself my place of importance it's denying myself the right to be somebody it is turning aside from all that is of the flesh and it is waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you, What anxiety are we speaking of? We're speaking of the great anxiety of being of no account, of not being considered important by other people, the anxiety of having no place of importance, of being rejected, cast out, cast down. if it's hard for the righteous to be saved what's going to become of the ungodly and of the sinner so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good are you somebody today or are you nobody God can only use nobodies. He can't use somebodies. If you're concerned about your standing with people, if you're concerned about how people are not considering your opinion as being important, if you're concerned about that, that's anxiety. That's anxiety over your pride. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. There is a place of suffering that God calls us to. And we in the church have been so filled with pride and arrogance. So self-righteous. So confident in our theology. So assured that we're on our way to heaven and that God loves us and we're somebody special. Filled with pride and arrogance. I listened to a national broadcast this morning a prophetic broadcast the man who was leading the broadcast opened the broadcast by saying all I'm interested in is the supernatural it's supernatural he claimed to be only about the supernatural and so he had a guest on who came and spoke about his visions and his wisdom and, and how thousands of young people are flocking to his conferences. And then he showed a brief clip of this conference, strobe lights going, hip-hop music playing. And I'm saying, what is this? Is this supernatural? Well, yes, it is supernatural, but it's demonic supernatural. The demonic is supernatural, as well as Jesus is supernatural. So now thousands of kids are coming to his conferences, and what do they find? They're brought into what is called praise and worship, with music that is not praise and is not worship, and is utterly demonic and dark. And the strobe lights are going, the flesh is excited. This is revival? I pray, God, don't give us revival. If this is revival, this is revival of wickedness and darkness. I agree, many young people today are searching for Jesus. And if you're a young person and you're listening to this broadcast, please hear my heart. The sign of revival is conviction of sin and being washed by the blood and being made clean. That's revival. A testimony of the glorious nature of Jesus Christ and of my utter unworthiness for him, that's revival. It's not a man standing up with pride and arrogance saying, everything I'm about is supernatural. Really? Then it's demonic. I fear there is such a hunger for the supernatural that many are going to be deceived and drawn away from the cross of Jesus Christ. I attended recently a Holy Spirit renewal conference in a church. The man who was speaking had that wonderful British brogue And he spoke about all the times when he's been in revival and how the Spirit of God comes. People begin to dance and shout. People begin to praise Jesus. Gold dust begins to fall from the ceiling. All kinds of manifestations happen. And he said, I want that to happen here. And if you're willing, it can happen here. And then people in the congregation, some people in the congregation began to jerk, jerk, jerk. John Wesley was speaking about that, and he said that jerking is a sign that they are fighting against the Holy Spirit. They are rejecting the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so they jerk well I haven't said that but I've seen that and I've seen the falseness of the modern revival that's not revival dancing and shouting and singing are not revival I stood one evening in the Hilton Chapel and the whole crowd was going crazy the Holy Spirit they said is here revival is beginning at the Hilton Chapel and everyone was dancing, and a young woman came up to me. And she said, come on, Pastor, dance with me. The Holy Spirit has come. I said, no, 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 it is not the Holy Spirit. It's a demonic spirit. There was no Holy Spirit presence in that house. It was a demonic spirit. It was gratifying the flesh, It was gratifying pride and arrogance. The speaker standing in front, speaking in powerful tones about how great he was, recognizing people in the congregation and recognizing how great they were. Utter foolishness. Jokes being shared. Laughter and conversation. And it was supposed to be revival. It wasn't revival, it was death. Today, my heart's just very sober. It's sober because I know as I come in before the Lord. I can't demand anything from him. But I must endure the suffering of this journey as I wait for the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit to come, bringing conviction of sin and sorrow of heart, for that is the first sign of revival. That is the sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not laughter joy comes but it comes after the suffering often people will quote this passage in philippians the first chapter verse 6 being confident of this that he will begin that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of our christ jesus And they say very confidently, God is going to finish this work that he started in me. What they don't understand is that the work that God wants to do in them is to humble their hearts and reduce them down so they're small enough that God can begin to get a hold of their hearts and their lives so that they will not be filled with pride and arrogance, self-sufficiency, dependence upon the flesh and the world and the ways of darkness. Yes, He will finish the work He has begun in you only if you allow Him to finish that work of breaking the pride from your heart and walking in humility before God. It's a passage of Scripture. I'm just going to read a part of it for you. It's called The Cascade of God's Love. I've shared before I became acquainted with this passage of Scripture while I was a senior in college. I was a theology major, but I'd never, I'd never read this before. I was the assistant in the Department of Theology or Religion in the college I was attending. And I went in to go to work that afternoon and one of the older professors waved to me and said, Ray, come, I want to talk with you. I didn't know if I'd done something wrong or if he had a special assignment for me. He was a man I, I loved very dearly. I went in and sat down in front of his desk. And he just sat and looked at me. He was a very dignified man probably close to 70 years of of age, a white hair with white mustache, thin, very dignified. I looked at him and he looked at me. And then the strangest thing began to happen. Tears began to run down his face. And he said to me, our pride has to be broken. And through his weeping, which now had progressed to a point he could barely speak, in a choked voice he began to read this passage of Scripture. If you have any encouragement, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others what's he saying he's saying consider other people's opinion as greater than your own opinion don't do anything out of selfish ambition don't reach out and try to grab somebody or something to fill the need of your heart is it okay if if people don't regard your words as important Is it okay if people don't look upon you as someone special? Is it okay if even your wife thinks you're a little crazy and shows disrespect? Your attitude, it says, should be the same as That of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, but made himself nothing. I pray this Sunday when I go to church and I stand before the congregation of the Lord that I will have the grace to be nothing. The grace to be in the very nature of God. Not demanding equality with anybody for any reason, but considering myself nothing. As says he took the nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. So he did not come as the king. He came as a servant. The The very nature of a servant or the form of a servant. Not as one who should be served but as one who humbles his heart. And says, I will serve. Is that your heart today? I pray today you are not full of yourself. Full of your own drama. Full of your own desires. Full of your own anger and your own bitterness because You don't like the way you're being treated by God or by another man or by a woman. I pray that you will just humble your heart with me and say, Oh God, have mercy upon me. Humble your heart before God today. Don't be Balaam, don't be a donkey. Don't go about having to correct everybody. It's amazing to me. The things I receive in the mail. Trying to correct me. I say, Lord, just bless them. Bless them. Such arrogance. Hard-hearted arrogance. Hard-edged arrogance. Say, oh Lord, it's so ugly when I see it in others. Make it equally ugly when I see it in myself. Lord, don't let me bluster about pretending that I'm somebody. Lord, let me just acknowledge freely before you that I am a servant, that I'm not somebody. that I'm not anybody but a servant of the Most High God. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was not going to grab for heaven. He was not going to grab for being even the Messiah. He humbled his heart. He said, I'm nothing. He's referred to in the Psalms as the worm. One time a couple came up to me after church. We just sung Amazing Grace. And they said, Pastor, please, would you change the words of this song so that it doesn't speak of such a worm as I because I'm not a worm. I'm an educated man. I'm successful in my career. I'm not a worm. I am someone like everyone else who is very important Wanted the, he wanted the song Amazing Grace changed to fit his psychological profile. What a donkey of a man, braying about his greatness. I pray that this week when you go to church, you will not walk into the church and sit down and have to listen to a donkey braying from the pulpit i'm praying that as you go into whatever church you're called to go to this sunday that you will go in and the very word of god will be spoken by a man or woman who is humble before the almighty god and who is not trying to recruit and raise money and build something great but who is simply being a humble servant of the most high god who has heard the cry who will go for me and he says i am i've unclean lips I'm uncircumcised lips. I think it's time we stop believing our own advertising about ourselves and simply humble our hearts before an almighty God. Lord, I come today with my precious brothers and sisters who know exactly what I'm talking about, who have experienced it so many times in their own life. I pray, Lord, you will give us the courage to stop grasping after things and people and positions. I pray, Lord, you will give us the courage and the honesty to admit That we are nothing before the almighty God of heaven. That there's no reason for pride. It's all false. That you are the beautiful one of Israel. That it was you, Jesus, who came down and you were obedient to death. Death on a cross. And now you have been exalted to the highest place. You've been given a name that is above every name. In heaven or on earth or under the earth let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mighty God, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling before you, the holy God of heaven, I ask, I ask, O God, that we would not look out for our own interests, but we would look out for the interests of Jesus Christ, the servant of the Most High God. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your name. Amen. We have just a minute left. I invite you to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find directions. It's nationalprayerchapel.com. Or you're welcome to call my personal cell phone, 703-489-1785 703-489-1785 and I'll get directions for you. That's 703 489 God bless you, my brother, my sister. I pray today you've humbled your heart before God. I'll talk with you soon. joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of Change your station.